Welcome everyone to another edition of the More You Look podcast. Today I've got a very good friend of mine, a special guest and friend of the show. I've got Bumi on here and uh, we're going to be doing a video sort of, you know, interview chats today. Um, hello Bumi, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Hi Femi, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, um, uh, let's dive in straight off, okay? And you, can you tell us just oh. a bit about yourself and um, your profession? Okay. I know that you're a speech therapist, but can you just tell us a tiny yeah. bit about yourself and um, how long you've been in this profession and why you chose it? Okay. So this question of like, tell me a bit about yourself is one of the most daunting questions ever because you have to think about what to say and what not to say. Yeah. Anyway, my name's Boomi. I'm a speech and language therapist. Um, I have been for four years now. Um, and thinking about what else to say. I live outside of London. Um, I try to dabble into other things, so like writing books, blogging and stuff like that. Not fully established yet, but hopefully would plan to be. Um, and to answer your last question, so what prompted me to join speech and language therapy? I know that for many people, they have stories such as they've seen it before, they've heard of it before. My story is very, very different. And I'll be sharing it on a, um, on a group on Instagram tomorrow, actually. And so basically, when I, all my life, I wanted to be a medical doctor because that's all I grew up with. Um, so both my parents and my maternal grandparents work in field. So I was surrounded by medicine and that's all I wanted to do um, until I came into this country um and I'm, I'm not the best at maths or physics or any of those kind of subjects anyway um so I got into um, sixth form to do my a-levels I just went through physics chemistry biology because as you know now in Niger that's all that's like that's literally all you can do to get into medicine mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't guided and have anybody telling me that there are other ways so in the end I failed <laughs> obviously because I don't like physics and I remember my tutor then calling me to say girl you're not going to get into medicine with a grade like that mm -hmm. um so to think about what your options are she didn't say you can never do medicine but she was looking for a means to an end so a degree to do first before going into it and I was like I don't want to do biomed because that's what everyone does and then they then tried to find medicine so she gave me a long list of things I could do as a means to an end and it was so weird because everything out of everything I'd heard of all of them apart from speech and language therapy and I was like oh I'll do that one the only one I never heard of was the one that piqued my interest so in the end, um, that's how I signed up for speech and language therapy. But the more I've done it, the more I can see how, um, yeah, this was meant to be. So, yeah, that's my story into speech and language therapy. You got there in the end, <laughs> like a, a match made in heaven. In the end. <laughs> in the end. A match made in heaven. So when it comes to, right. when it comes to speech and language um, therapy, do you, are you only based, uh, do you major, um, are your patients mainly children or is it just for children? No, speech and language therapy covers, sorry, go on, I interrupted you. I'd like to know if it's um, something that adults are sort of, you know, um, registered to get or something like that. Yeah. So speech and language therapy covers the lifespan. So from naught to the end of life, really. Um, there are, so you might have heard of people who have stroke yeah. um, and then lose their ability to communicate. So they would require the service of speech language therapists. And um, we work in different areas. So we work with um, 
we work in like schools for like for pediatric side of things for example we work in schools um we can work with obviously children who are younger so people are preschoolers we also work in colleges we work even in the um, youth offending team so there are youth offenders who may have a history of um, learning difficulties, for example. That means that they're just very vulnerable and can easily get into trouble because those are the people that go out on the field to do the work for the people who know better. Um, so they get into trouble and then we become, um, we support them to communicate and to like in that sort of context. We go to prisons. Um, and then for adults, we work in different sectors as well. So we cover things like dysphagia, so that's swallowing difficulties, um, stroke, um, aphasia specifically, so people with communication difficulties following a stroke. Um, there are people with voice disorders, people who have lost their larynx, for example, so their larynx is the voice box, and then we support those. So we work in a range, range and range of areas. Um, right. That was why I had that question initially, because I didn't know that it was a, there's a wider range to uh, speak. Mm speech and language um, therapy. So my second question is this. Yeah. Um, when should a parent worry in regards to you know, speech um, impediments and stuff like that? When should the parents start to worry? That's a, that's a really interesting question because again, I can't, I can't, I can talk within the context of the UK and especially within the context of my experience. Like there is why some parents may not worry in different cultures or in different societies because well the um standardization of when those skills should develop might be slightly different um obviously we all have developmental milestones that you have children so you'd have heard of developmental milestones so things that children achieve by a certain age um if that makes sense um and then for some parents they just have that gut feeling from a very young age there's some children who are born with like um, congenital disease um, um, conditions, so like Down syndrome, for example. If a child is born with Down syndrome, you can already know that they are going to have difficulties with speech, language, and communication. For some other children, they're born very typical, but then they, they acquire things along the way. So there's some children who may acquire um, a brain, um, um, a traumatic brain injury at some point in their life, and then they would require speech and language. There are other things um, that can impact on a child's so infections and things like that might result in um, speech and language and communication difficulties. So it's not so much when should a parent worry, sometimes you see the signs, but I would say roughly though, um, when the child's not hitting their milestones, um, we know that a child should at least within the context of the UK, by the, child, by the time a child is one, they should have started to use a few words. They should begin to understand certain words. Um, so by that age, then you begin to know that, and especially if the mark is way off. So if a child is two years old and they can't even seem to um, just attend or they're not responding to their names, things like that, then you would begin to worry. So all I'm saying is that parents are very good at spotting certain things, um, but also it varies. It depends on the context. Yeah, but, but you know where we come from, like you said, you have yeah. to take um, into um, you have to take into account our culture. Our tradition, yeah, and also religion, yeah. And you know what they say to some mm -hmm. parents, they'll be like, mm, It will get there, it's just a slow burner, it'll get there, it'll get there. Yeah. Is there any official like um, recognition for say slow burner? Is there anything like a slow burner, you know, child with speech impediments in children? There is sometimes they say that boys take a bit longer than girls because girls, children are very sociable. We all are. We're social human beings. Um, so, yeah. 
Right, that's not very political, but we'll go with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm probably, I am probably leaving up to that stereotype right now because I'm chatting a lot, but that's just because I'm a chatter. I'm learning a lot from you. I, I talk a whole lot. Um, so sometimes they can say that boys can take a bit longer than girls. Um, so in the term, um, so yeah, um, boys can take a bit longer. Um, there's some children that they have certain skills that are developed very quickly and some just don't. So it's important to think about every child as an individual. Also, I've seen where children who are growing up in a bilingual, so they're learning more than one language. Um, so bilingual, trilingual, multilingual home. Um, they can also take a bit of time to catch up because they are learning more than one language and they have to like kind of think about the words in those language. They have to think about the structure because the structures in languages can be quite different from each other. So if I'm saying I am a girl, for example, in English, the way I might phrase that might be different saying Yoruba, for example, or ah, classic example, actually, because I'm Yoruba. So it might say Obiri Nimi. So you can think about the fact that Obiri comes before Nimi. Whereas within the, so if I was going to translate that directly to English, I'll be having girl, I am. Does that make sense? Mm. So thinking about the structure and how things are phrased, all of those sort of stuff can also impact. But like I said, there, there are things that can also impact. So if there's a medical situation or medical condition that's impacting on that child, then maybe I'm weary of the slim, slow burner. We know that there are things impacting on why that child cannot catch up. Mm -hmm. I was going to say is that within this context there are people who can help so for example like every child is usually allocated a health visitor from birth mm -hmm. so they are usually the first port of call they're the ones who would kind of like check the developmental milestones they'll begin to spot when things are not happening when they should be so it's great to have that sort of um, profession with and a profession that's working within this sort of sector whereas they may not always be that functional in other cultures or in other societies yep. oh we both know that um... Say where we come from because I cannot really relate with what I yeah. have. in Nigeria. I don't think I've ever yeah, heard of the word health visitors. I don't think they exist. Again, yeah. I haven't been to. I mean, I know that there are midwives. They have midwives. Um, and that's just thinking about my grandmother's hospital, um, because she was into like women's health. Um, so I know that parents would bring their children for checkup. Um, ever so often throughout the first two the first two years of life they'll bring their children for checkup but unlike what we have they don't have elder visitors going into the home to yeah. check the environments to make recommendations on how things can be changed so I know that midwives and nurses are there for especially for that first two years of life but again things are quickly changing I haven't been in Niger I haven't been to Nigeria in going on five years now so it's not it's not fair to um, say that things, it's just like there was a time where there weren't social workers yeah. but now social services are rising in nigeria so things are changing hopefully hmm. well that's a rabbit hole i don't want to go down to because i'll get lost yeah i know things working so as i'm a parent who has recently you know gotten a diagnosis for my child what can i do to help the question is what can parents do to help I think sometimes, just as humans in general, we can be quite fearful of diagnosis because we know all the things that can be attached to that diagnosis. And sometimes we tend to see all the worst examples. So, for example, I've had parents who maybe their child has a diagnosis of autism um, and because they tend to see children with probably... Um, so the autism impacts them more significantly in diverse areas of their life that um, actually some parents... Um, 
begin to ask questions such as would my child be ever um, be ever able to do this that sort of thing um isn't always the case the spectrum's huge and i'm using autism as an example because it's a classic one that i hear a lot and the spectrum's huge i've met i mean just even looking at um their tv shows their tv shows so for example i'm i'm very convinced i'm very convinced that sheldon in big bang theory is a high function in autism it probably has something like asperger's mm-hmm. and look it's still going but life is still went on to get married um so i think it's important to consider that just because a person has a diagnosis doesn't mean that they are affected the same way and it's also important to think about the fact that just because a child is presenting a way right now doesn't mean that's the way they would always be there would be changes that would happen um especially when the right level of support is put in place so I know that, for example, fear is one thing, but once you get over that, the shock of the diagnosis and you have better understanding of what it can be um, and how people are there to support you, classic things you can do is just making sure that you talk to your children. Um, and it's not, uh, and it sounds really very obvious, but I think in this generation and in this time of technological advancement, lots more children end up in front of a TV or a gadget more than they do like having a conversation, even as adults, to be fair. Um, we just end up like we just spend too much time on a gadget and don't get me wrong we do learn things because when you pop your child in front of a gadget you, they're probably playing like something educational on YouTube but that's not the same as having a to and fro conversation you learn a lot more from a to and fro conversation so sitting with your child getting involved in their world sometimes we're too quick to want to bring children to our world that we don't spend enough time in their world and then gradually bring them over um, so making sure that we like we have to literally become a child um play with them work with them um and meet them where they are where they're at ask another good thing is ask like making lots more questions than you're actually asking questions sorry making more comments than you're asking questions so if you see your child playing commenting on what they're doing oh you're playing ball or like you've got a big ball things like that as opposed to oh what are you doing or what noise is it making and it's so it's so natural you have to really kind of like think about what you're doing and getting them involved playing with them, getting them involved in the chores at home. So for example, when you're doing laundry, they can sort through like, you can get them to sort it by color, match up the things that look alike, helping you like putting food back, um, like in the cabinet, you can give them simple instruction. So for example, if you say to a child, put the biscuit in the fridge, you know, that's not where the biscuit goes, Mm -hmm. but they have to, they have that they're listening for them to have understood that instruction. Whereas if you say, put the biscuit in the cupboard, they don't really have to listen because that's where the biscuit usually goes anyway. So just kind of doing things like that with them, yeah. I'd recommend. Um, for some parents, they sort of start, mm-hmm. they only start noticing a bit of, you know, change in their children. Because even in this country, mm. with health visitors, there's a particular time where they stop yeah. coming to your house. And say I've recently mm-hmm. noticed my four-year-old is really, really not where he or she should be when it comes to talking and you know just responding to stuff generally yeah how can how do parents go about you know getting a referral or a diagnosis for a child because many people don't know you'll be shocked yeah no i'm not shocked to be honest with you i know that um and again it's not even about where the the background so it's not about being bame or anything like that um depends on um the awareness of a parent for some time for some parents they might be a first-time parent and they have nothing else to compare their child with. So they just think it's whatever the child is doing is normal because they have nothing else to compare it with. Um, I would say, um, again, because 
the UK is huge. Every trust within the UK works very differently. I can only talk based on the trust that I work in um, and the area where I live. So usually, if, like within my organisation, so even though um, they don't come to see you, they're always available. So now the health visitor, um, health visitors have a duty of care to children until the age of seven. That's something that's changed within the area where I work. So I'm not speaking for the whole of the UK because um, I don't know how uh, if, if it's the same for them. But I know that then, so it used to be five years old and now it's up to seven. So you would have an allocated health visitor that you can approach if you've got concerns. So that's one way. Another way is that everybody would have a GP. So a GP is someone to talk to. Another way is that a four-year-old would usually already be at school especially if they were born be like between, um, say, September. Ooh, I'm not going to get into that. But a, a four-year-old would either be preschool or they'd already be at school. So that's another way. School would be another way to get a referral through for yourself in the UK. So you've got a few options. And some places also offer a self-referral. So like my where I work, we offer a self-referral as well. That's wonderful. So there well, are many. The points you've made so far just, just sort of illuminated something to me. The fact that... Mm -hmm. an environment that is so organized that these things are just available at any time for anyone yeah. and i know that you've not been in nigeria for a while now for a few years now so i'm not going to mm -hmm. ask you what you know just a regular nigerian can do if they also notice some you know lack of you know the appropriate responses with speech and stuff like who, who do they go yeah. to do they go to their family doctor who are they? What are going to refer them to? So I, I there are speech and language therapists in Nigeria, but unlike the UK, where especially for younger children, in fact, for the whole lifespan, actually, speech and language therapy is usually funded by health. Mm -hmm. um, so they have additional things where they might need probably like a charity or they have to self fund. Most you, most things are usually funded by um, health. Well, some areas of speech and language are funded by health. Um, so unlike unlike that. In Nigeria, as with everything else, you have a private doctor more than you probably have an NHS type doctor. And I know we have a scheme in Nigeria called NHIS, isn't it? Yep. Um, but I don't think it's working. It um, so you most likely have a doctor. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame. We have a lots of potentials that we're not living up to. But I, I have connected with a few speech and language therapists in Nigeria. I know that some parents, I have friends who went to secondary school together in Nigeria who their child have needed speech and language therapy briefly, but they've had to fund that from their own pockets. Mm -hmm. So there are speech and language therapists. It, um, um, and I know that there are lots of NGOs trying to develop awareness of neurodiversity, cognitive difficulties and all those kind of things in Nigeria. So there is a bit more coming out than probably what our parents had, but there is still that huge stigmatization. So maybe talk to a doctor um, and then they might know someone. There's information out there on the Internet as well. That's how I got to find out, find out some of the um, speech and language therapists that I found. There is information on the Internet. Lovely. I was going to ask you how can parents facilitate the development of speech, language, and communication skills, but you've answered some of this. And um, I just wanted to ask, does reading to one's child at a very young age, I see a lot of parents doing it, does that help in any way? Yep, every exposure for language is absolutely brilliant. If you think about what you're doing when you're reading to a child, you're, you like again I'm not a reading expert I'm not a literacy expert um, in that sense because I don't work specifically with reading a teacher might be able to give you more but we usually tend to like have things that can support a child's um, communication skills so whilst a child is reading they're learning about sounds they're learning about how to blend sounds together to make words 
children's books usually have like lots of colorful and bright pictures there's lots of vocab you can ask your child to find in there so for example oh like if you have a busy picture you can say oh can you find the spoon so they're really listening out for the word and then they have to really retain their um memory um their attention to find what you've asked them to so reading is definitely definitely beneficial um just like with everything else that you do with your child but reading is one that we definitely recommend for children as well all right so within your line of work have you encountered you know mm. diagnosis denials in parents and why do you think oh, yeah oh and uh, what do you do to do you just give up on those kids or what do you what, what's there what can you do for them I don't think we just give up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, for example, every, everyone's got different... <laughs> we can't just give up because you know that... Well, there, there is things about acting in the best interest of a child because um, we still have to consider that child as an individual. So I've heard of really extreme cases, hasn't happened to me, where some parents have probably been taken to court because if you're blocking the help that your child needs and professionals are saying to you that your child needs this help, mm -hmm. then it can become a case of safeguarding and neglect. So I haven't personally account encountered it, but I have heard stories of um, parents having to go to court for safeguarding concerns in terms of blocking help. Um, and then a court has to rule over that to say that, no, you have to make sure that you're available and that you make that child available to attend this appointment. So there is that. Um, what I've experienced, though, is sometimes I've had a parent again, and this is not this is not a. Uh, a bane thing if that makes sense like i've said previously i think there is a place for denial um there is the fear of the unknown or fear of what you know um if that makes sense so if all you've ever experienced is probably people um with autism with really low functioning abilities um children that can't really communicate like they, they can't they can't verbalize they have other means of communication but they can't verbalize then you might think that that's how all children with autism will present. Um, but the spectrum is huge, like I said. So the fear of the unknown, um, they say that there are five stages of grief and it may not necessarily be grief um, for parents. Is the, is the case of, you know, that diagnosis usually tend to change your life, if that makes sense. So if a child has a diagnosis, whereas if, if you have a typically developing child, you just send them to school, you, do, you, do, you still have to work with them. But if a child then has a diagnosis of all on top of all the other things you'll do with a typically developing child, you then have to make time available to do so much more. So and I think sometimes that can concern parents because he is going to change their lives. Um, there's cultural um, understanding, there's um, societal understanding. So maybe not so much in this in this in this culture and in this society, but um, um, the people from different walks. Um, and then there's also religion, which we've talked about. And we said we're not going to go into great details, but religion, there are lots of things that can impact on a person accepting a diagnosis. Um, what, what we've done in um, my personal experience, sometimes time, time is a, is a healer or time, time just opens up things. Because the older a child gets, sometimes the more obvious their difficulties become, mm -hmm. the more apparent their has become so I've had some parents who were initially very resistant to the idea of a diagnosis or they think the child is too young they don't want to go down that route whatever it is and then as the child gets older so maybe they start to go into school and then they see all these other children doing all these things and they have other people also confirming things that we've said to them then they can become a bit they, they might become a bit more ready to be accepting of a diagnosis to be accepting of the support that we're offering so yeah, time, time is one that um, helps <laughs> and also just kind of coming to the reality and like some parents, as difficult as it is for them, they know that they want the best for their child. So that's another thing. 
Yeah, that's true. They come on board. Um, Is that uh, your question? I felt like I but maybe not necessarily. Yeah, actually, answer it, your question. It did. Okay. Yes, it did. Yeah. Well, um, well last but, but not least, I was just going to ask. You said you know some speech therapists in Nigeria, and I'm sure they will be in other yeah. places in Africa. But what do you think, in your perception, what do you think the government in those places can do to better increase the quality of life of people with speech impediments and people who need speech therapy? Creating awareness. Education is important. Education, both like, we know that education... <laughs> You have to pay an arm and a leg to get your child a good quality education in some of these countries, like Nigeria, for example. Um, like public schools just don't cut it anymore. Um, so education in that sense, but also education within society in terms of understanding neurodiversity um, and accept, being accepting of neurodiversity. Um, the gov I, I don't think the job is just down to the government. I think it's down to everybody. Um, but the, the government can play a huge part because then if the top is sorting things out then that trickles down better than rather than the bottom trying to work their way up to the top so that top bottom um um approach is is a would be really useful um like for example i've stopped watching comedies like i watch comedy shows and the, the minute they start to make fun of someone who's stammering or someone who has a disability mm -hmm. I, I cut out because that's that's not funny <laughs> so apart from the government having a responsibility people in different walks of life also have responsibilities teachers have a responsibility to make sure that if a child is being bullied at school for example and they have needs that's not that's not acceptable whoever's doing that should be should get some sort of sanction mm -hmm. parents have a responsibility to educate their children so it's it's a whole lot the government would help those in education will help the health sector so the health minister and all of those sort of people will help but i think it's ultimately like with everything else in nigeria is down to us there is a lot more information out there that I, I think ignorance is not an excuse anymore in this day and age. Yep. Yep. The internet has kind of changed that, so no one has an excuse. You know the interesting part of what you just said, this answer you just gave me, while it is so mm. the interesting bit of it is that everything you've just said actually applies to the very environment we live in right now. Mm. And this is meant to be the first world countries because I've seen issues where... Mm. People who appear to be on the spectrum get bullied in schools and get treated yeah, absolutely. in the society. I've seen it with my own eyes, you know. Even absolutely, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So do you think that it's a case of lack of aware enough awareness, even in this first world country environment? Uh, that's a really tricky one to answer. I don't think it's lack of awareness. I think if we're saying that people in third world countries or developing countries don't have an excuse, then by no stretch of imagination does anyone in the first world country have an excuse. I think that I think sometimes uh, I've come to the conclusion that hurting people hurt people. So when people have things that are going wrong with them, they project that on other people. And that's why society is the way it is. People are fearful of what's different. So that's why people see a child probably like with a facial um, um, facial. Um, Oh, what's the term that I could use? Um, Is it so like we probably like pardon? Yeah, probably like a disfigurement. Um, yeah, thanks for that word. So like a facial disfigurement. Um, and they just stare, and you're like, what are you looking at? <laughs> Do you understand? So yeah. people fear what they don't know. 
Um, and I think there is still a lot of education because, again, we, we haven't even like exhausted the list of possible syndromes in the world. Science is advancing all the time, understanding the world a bit better, like things that can happen in our world a bit better. But I think it's about how we respond. So just like we're asking people to respond very differently to like Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. It's about how we all respond to things like that. There is an opportunity for education in that. Um, and we should not be accepting of it. I was on the bus one day in this area and I saw people making fun of someone with mental health difficulties. And I, like they were all laughing on the bus and I just couldn't. And I was just like, it's not funny. It really isn't funny. Um, and again, because I just moved to the area, I didn't say anything, but that's lived with me because that was a moment to say something. So there's always a moment for education. Okay. Um, you see, yeah. the, reason why, the reason why I sort of start with the government is because... Let me mm. give you an example. You have a waiting area in a sort of um, yeah. GP surgery and there's a bit of a wait yep. and these patients are coming who happens to be on the spectrum. And the thing with them, the way they, mm. they don't do well with waiting for so long. With and waiting, I, not always. I yeah. explain. Some actually do speak out and say, I've got autism. I really would like to be seen on my appointment time. And they've just been, because you said odd people, odd people. These are people that are not set out to hurt these patients. But as far as they are concerned, your appointment time is three o'clock. We're running a bit late. You need to just sit down and just, you know, comply yeah. without actually taking that extra, making the extra effort to make that person feel a bit more comfortable and stuff, which is why I think mm. the same way they put these things on the TV about rape, you know, mm. same way the black yeah. people, you'll be surprised. There quite a few people inboxed me to ask for information and I just directed them to the right places to read, the right books to read, and I gave them some links. When this whole Black Lives Matter thing came out, came about, yeah. which is why I said the government themselves need to start, because... They are the ones that can put this in front of as many people as possible. And then you know that, oh, yeah. oh, my neighbor. Let me give you an example. I was born in this country. I left when I was about four mm -hmm. years old. And then I came back as an adult. And it wasn't until I came back to this country and I was put in environments where I could learn about these mm. disabilities that I began to understand that, wow, so that guy I went to secondary school with in Nigeria that people used to make fun of must actually have been autistic. And then you begin to put these two and two together. But why? Because mm. I've been exposed to a society where I can now see and the main fact that I now work in a healthcare sort of environment opened my eyes to those things. Yeah. I'm saying this information thing has to come directly from the government. People can't just wake up one day and say, I want to go and learn about autism. How many people are going to do that? Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot more awareness here. I do agree with you on the government, and we've already talked about the top-bottom approach and how that's very effective. And I think the government are... Tr <laughs> okay, I'm going to sound like a government apologist there, but no, I was going to say they're trying. They are doing their bit. I, I mean, like, again, just to give you another cl classic example, I now know some shopping... Um, so like some grocery stores, like the supermarket. I know some, I know some supermarkets, for example, um, who have a dedicated time of shopping for parents with children with autism. So that's not a government approach. They've chosen to do that because they know that those children 
some of those children would especially struggle in a busy environment some of the lighting as well so there's some children who are very very sensitive to lights so all that bright light doesn't help them so they might do things like probably change or dim the light a little bit more make sure that like the sort of music that they're playing at that time is calming as opposed to upbeat and like really scary songs or like really upbeat that can send a child into a an overdrive if that makes sense so they have dedicated time that was government initiative that was people taking an initiative to do something different mm -hmm. and i've seen other places do the same so for example a lot of schools in again because I, I don't think it's a it's a government initiative because otherwise it would be more widespread than it is the children who probably like their first language is probably sign language mm -hmm. um or that they need that or means to communicate and schools are now rolling out um, like, um, things like Makaton for example and making sure that all the children within that particular year group can sign in Makaton so that they can communicate with their peer who needs it so for inclusion sake but some schools don't do that just yet so there is there are things that as individuals we can do um, so again I, I get the point about um, the government doing their bit but also as humans like we know when we're doing things that are not right. Yes, we know. We all, we that's true. That's true. Yeah. You're right with that. Well, um, I would like to round this up now because I know that we've taken much of your time. And uh, firstly, I would yes. like to appreciate you for giving us so much of your time and also educating us because I've learned, I've learned something from this, actually. And uh, You have? I, I have. Good. Honestly, I have. And uh, I hope that you know, viewers have learned a thing or two. Uh, thank you, Bumi, for coming on the show, and uh, we appreciate thank you for having me. We were talking earlier about um, blogging and podcasting and stuff like that. Do yeah. You actually, do you have your own podcast that you do? My own personal podcast. I haven't started, but it's in the pipeline. It's something I want to do, but I'm thinking whether I want to go vlogging or blogging. Not decided. But I do have a podcast that I do with some of my speech and language friends. So we went to university together and we started a podcast a few months ago. Um, did you want me to share a handle? Yeah, what is it called and where can we find it? Um, so it's called the hashtag listening podcast. Um, and we are so we usually stream on Anchor. Um, on Spotify and we're also on YouTube so you can find us on those three and we have um, um, social media um, platforms on Instagram and Twitter okay for our viewers you heard that that's hashtag listening listen, listen in listen listen in, in. podcast listen in we will write it. We will write yeah. it in our description stuff anyway when we are editing this. Sure. Yeah, so once again, thank you for thank being you. on the show, Bumi. And um, thank I, you very I, much for having me. The time. Uh, it's lovely. It was lovely chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Yeah.